morning and welcome to Chanel. We are glad that you're with us today. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. As you can see on the screens, we're starting a new series for the summer called Vacation Bible Stories for Grown-Ups. I wanted to do this for a while because I find a lot of the stories that we tell children fascinating. Uh, Sorry, I didn't notice my son was still here. Um, That threw me off. Uh, Judah's about to learn some stuff about Noah's Ark. Um, But I find these stories, sorry, I apologize, but I find these stories that we tell kids very interesting because often what we do, especially for vacation Bible schools and stuff like that, is we we make the stories children appropriate. Uh, Not that we we dumb them down, we don't do that, but we, we water them down a little bit so that kids can understand who God is but if we look at this, the Scripture and we look at the details in these stories, some of these stories are very much so intended to be for grown-ups, not necessarily for kids. And so this morning, again, we'll be in Genesis chapter 6, if you want to go ahead and turn there. But before we get to Genesis chapter 6, I, I want to tell a quick story about how my year of 2022 ended. Now, one of the things that the kids like to do every Christmas is that we go to the Capitol and we take family photos. I would never use pictures of my, my beautiful children in sermons for ploys or just because I think they're wonderful. This is a picture that we're calling uh, Before Isla Takes Congress. Um, this is kind of when she runs for office one day, we can look back at the picture and say, this is where it started. Um, but we go to the Capitol every Christmas and we take pictures. If you've ever been there, you know that it's, it's decorated beautifully for Christmas. There's ornaments everywhere. There's beautiful banners. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Our family loves it. There's one more picture, I think. Uh, and again, oh, thank you. My kids are wonderful. But um, this is, again, if we could just get Judah to look at the camera, that would be great. But we, we do this every Christmas, and we've done it for a very long time, and this Christmas was no different. Uh, and this Christmas, we went on Christmas Eve, Uh, We got our family together, we put the kids in some clothes that would look great in photos, and we went to the Capitol, and we took pictures for a while, until the point that it was like, Christmas feels like it's getting over. And so after that, we said, we're going to go get lunch as a family, we're going to go get a dessert before Christmas Eve, and we we did that. We kind of went through the motions. Now, unbeknownst to us, that the second that we shut our back door, drove out of our driveway, a water line burst in our house. And so for the next three or so hours, we were just running around town, having a good old time, water was gushing out of our ceiling in our laundry room. And I remember after we, you know, we were just talking about Christmas is here, how fun is this, Christmas music was playing in the car, I turned into our driveway and I remember thinking, I don't remember a water feature coming out of our house. And I turned to Whitney, I said, something bad has happened. And I opened our, our laundry room door to walk into the back side of our house, and there were two soaking wet golden doodles uh, standing underneath what I assume was electrified water at this point, um, just being like, this is great. We, we, don't, we didn't know we had this either. Water was just shooting out of the ceiling. The, the water line that goes to our refrigerator is in our attic, and so it had burst in just the perfect place. Water was everywhere. It was Christmas Eve. And, and we eventually, I think Gary Berkemeyer came over, helped to shut off the water. We were able to figure out how to turn the water off to just that one section of our house. And that started this awful saga that went on until March, until we finally got everything settled. But right after that, on Christmas Eve, I called my insurance agent. I said, hey, what do I do? It's Christmas Eve. I don't think anybody should have to deal with this on Christmas Day specifically. But I was like, what do I do? 
And he said, look, Bryce, your house is deemed as livable. And I was like, have you been here? Um, you haven't seen what I see. But he said, your house is deemed as livable. And so because of that, you're going to be lower on the, the ranking of like where they get to the houses with emergencies. Because, again, if you remember, pipes were bursting left and right around Christmas because of the freezing temperatures. He said, if I were you, he said, I would just kind of corner it off, get it settled, and then feel free to go home for Christmas. Go back to Kentucky uh, because nobody's going to be able to come out between you know, Christmas Day and New Year's Day. I was like, you know what, he's right. This stinks, but it's a situation that is under control right now. We're going to go to Kentucky. We do that. We go to Kentucky. Two days later, Whitney and I are sitting in a stoplight. Our kids are now with grandparents. They're going to watch them so that Whitney and I can go have like an adult dinner where there's no chicken tenders. There's no uh, chicken nuggets specifically or ketchup other than meal. That's what we wanted. We wanted just a regular adult meal. And we're sitting in the stoplight and we're talking about our house. Like, man, this stinks. It's going to be a process. We've got to do the claims, all that stuff. And as we're talking about it, somebody from the right comes and rams the side of our car. Just whap, hits us. And we're in shock because we're like, this cannot be happening. And in most situations like that, the person would stop and pull out and get out of traffic. But they decided to just go ahead and finish the job and scrape, you know, all the way down the front, the right side of our car, and then pulled out in front of us. At this point, I'm like, this has to be a dream. I'm hallucinating. I don't know what's going on. And then Whitney says, hey, he's leaving. And I said, like, I'm looking at my phone to call 911. And she said, Bryce, there, like, and there he went. And there he goes. And we were able to get his license plate. You're going to be shocked by this. No insurance. Um, but <laughs> If you remember how my year ended with that, with a, a water line bursting, somebody hitting our car, four days later, Judah had an asthma attack that sent him to the emergency room. They weren't able to help him because they didn't have a pediatric unit, so he had to be transferred to Evansville, Indiana, to a hospital that had it. That's how our year ended and technically began. If you've ever been in a situation where you meet your deductible on January 3rd, uh, things aren't going the way you wanted them to. Never great to be at that point. But I tell all of that because at, the, at that point, Whitney and I, when we finally got back to Little Rock and we got home, we were like, we need a reset. Things are not going the way that we want them to. We need a do-over. We need, we need to restart this year because after a, a waterline burst, a car accident, and then Judah dealing with some health issues, we just needed to restart. This idea of restarting is how Genesis chapter 6 begins. It begins in verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. The language there is that God was saddened. God's heart is broken. The emphasis there being that God is, is just in pain at what God has created. Verse 7, So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and within the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. You probably have regretted things before. Maybe life choices, maybe decisions, career paths. Like maybe you've regretted things. But it's different when we regret the things that we create. 
There's more pain. There's more ownership in those feelings when it's what we've created that has broken us. And often when we tell children these stories of especially Noah's Ark, we try to shy away from how sad God is in this moment. We try to maybe hide them a little bit from how heartbroken and how much pain God is in in this moment. Because God does not want to do this, but He's broken. But then this language comes up that we see all throughout the Old Testament. Because in, in verse 8, it says, but, God found, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, we, we can't see this because a lot of us, we, we speak English, and we read this in English. But the Hebrew writers are doing something a little bit fun with this language. Because Noah is actually favor backwards in Hebrew. Well, fun, I know. I thought that was neat, too. And so we're, we're seeing this like, kind of Hebrew language little nod to people who can read Hebrew that Noah is favor spelled backwards. And it indicates that the human perversion and divine grief will not be the last word. Because for the first time in this story, where we've walked through God's sadness, we've walked through God's regret, we've walked through God's pain, we see hope. Because God has found favor in Noah. And so in verse 13, So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Now in Scripture, this is the first time that we see the word ark used this way and translated this way. The only other time that we see ark used in this way is the vessel that Moses' mother uses to save her baby by putting him in the Nile. And so when you would have seen this word in the Hebrew Scripture, you would have immediately noticed deliverance and hope and a path to escape the judgment and the pain that is coming. But this story at this point reminds me a lot of a movie that came out called Evan Almighty. If you've ever seen this movie, it stars Steve Carell. I think we have the, just a picture of it here. But it's a modern-day interpretation of Noah's Ark. In the movie, Steve Carell plays a politician who God, obviously Morgan Freeman, has chosen to build an ark. It's a great movie. But one of the things that this movie does excellent, and it's not intended to be scripturally accurate, but one of the things that this movie does phenomenally is talk about the internal struggle of Steve Carell's character as Noah. And I'm not saying that the scripture misses it. I'm just saying that we don't get it. We don't see Noah's internal struggle of you want me to build what? Like, God, I, I've never built an ark before. I'm not even great around animals. Like, he's like, I don't even know if my kids like me. And you want me to corral all of these animals into the world on this vessel. But God sees Noah as hope. And God sees a path forward with this individual. Now, the text continues in verse 17. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Now, this is the first time that we see this specific word for covenant. It's beret, B-E-R-I-T, transliterated. And this would have signaled something different to the people who were reading this passage. Because covenants weren't necessarily uncommon in the ancient Near East. 
People had covenants with people. We make covenants with people all the time in our lives, whether that be socially, in our jobs. We make them constantly with our children. One of my favorite covenants that we do in our household that is often broken is the Chipotle covenant, which every Sunday our children say, it's like, Judy, you wanted to be in here. Uh, Every Sunday, every Sunday after church, we say, where are we going to eat as a family? And our kids look us dead in the eyes and say, we want to go to Chipotle. Whitney and I counter and say, you never eat. You never eat at Chipotle. You want to play on those high stools and you want to eat the chips. No one is ever eating the tacos or the quesadillas that we pay for. And they look at us and they say, we promise this time we will eat the Chipotle. Every Sunday we do this song and dance. The Johnson saw us there last week doing the song and dance where Whitney and I are the only ones eating and we're all on those stools playing with our chips. We do this all the time. We understand the concept of making a promise, making a covenant with people. And so in this passage, the idea of a covenant was not uncommon. But what is uncommon in this story is God's participation in it. Rarely in the ancient world did you see a divine being being a participant in a covenant. Often the individuals in the covenant are just those two people, and they expected the divine being, the God, to control that and to enforce that covenant. But this is the first time that we see God is actually a party to this relationship. God is a part of this. God is a part of this relationship that is developing within this covenant. And so God makes this deal with Noah. He says, if you build this ark, if you bring these animals on it, I will make a promise to you. So Noah does it. And this is normally where we like to bring kids in, right, at this point. We're like, yes, the fun is starting. We've got lions. We've got tigers. We've got giraffes. I'm, I'm really, I was getting like, oh no, how many animals do I know? But like, this is normally when we like to bring kids into this story because this is the fun part. You're going on a, like a, a water zoo, essentially. This is a fun element of the story. And so in verse 11 of chapter 7, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, On that day, all the springs of the great deep deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on earth forty days and forty nights. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. And the kids cheered. All the animals are on the boat. Everyone's having a good time. And then we often overlook verse 22 and verse 23. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. You slow it down. When you look at the story as it's intended to be read for adults, there's a darkness in it. There's a pain in this story of God destroying what God has created. That God's heart is broken in this moment. Yes, there is a way forward. Yes, there is hope. But this is not something that God wanted to do. But creation is filled with violence. It's filled with sin. And so God destroys what God has created. But Noah has the hope. Noah is the individual that God sees as as redeeming for this people. And so in 
verse 8, in verse 1 of chapter 8, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. See, God remembering or, or knowing about something is an indication of the triumph of mercy over judgment. God remembers those who follow him. God remembers Abraham and saving his nephew Lot. God remembers Rachel. And God remembers Israel and rescues them from Egypt. When God remembers, God enters this moment, this scene, to say, I am still here. You are not alone. You are not forgotten. You may feel like you are on this boat in the middle of the ocean with a weird amount of animals, but Noah, you are not forgotten. Again, we often apply this to a child, to a child's understanding. But I promise you that there's some people in this room this morning that need to be reminded that God remembers you, that God has not abandoned you, that God is with you, that God will save you, that God will rescue you. And more so than that, that God has a plan for you. Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, the story enters with, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the earth. The fear and dread you will fall on all the beasts of the earth, and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. Then God said to Noah and to his sons, this is the passage that Whitney read, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will life, all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So we come back to this covenant language. It's a promise, an agreement. Whatever you want to call it, this isn't out of the ordinary for us or for them. Every ancient civilization had these types of agreements. And I hate to spoil it to you, but a lot of ancient civilizations have flood stories too. About 270 ancient civilizations have some variation of a flood story where a disastrous flood comes into a region or the entire earth and destroys civilization. But this story is different. Because in the ancient Near East, when readers would have heard stories like this, they would have anticipated an ending that would follow the similar endings that they've heard from their neighbors. We were bad. God was mad. God destroyed us. That's how those stories went. But here, everyone doesn't die. God doesn't destroy everything. God saves a family. And not only does God save a family, but God makes a, pro- a covenant, a promise to them. And do you see how this might have disrupted their view of who God is and what kind of gods exist? This is not how people at this time viewed God's. They viewed God as vengeful, filled with rage, that at any moment you could mess up and that God would destroy you. And maybe this is how you view God right now. That God is just looking to ruin your life. 
that you view God maybe as an angry creator who doesn't care about you. But you see, this story, the story of Noah and the ark, is about a God who wants to connect, a God who wants to relate, a God who wants to save, a God who wants to live in covenant, not just with Noah, but with you. This God does not want to destroy all people. This God wants to live in relationship with his creation. And this is likely the first time in history that anyone heard a story about where a God chooses to save them versus destroy them. That this God chooses peace and love and not violence as an intent for humanity. And so then God furthers that promise in verse 12. This is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. See, it doesn't just go to Noah, it extends beyond it. God is not just making this promise to one family, but for everyone that comes after it. God says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Verse 14, whenever I bring clouds over the earth, and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Again, you're seeing that remembering language. This would have stood out to the ancient readers, and it should stand out to us that God is not abandoning us, that God is with us, that God cares about us and wants to pursue a relationship with us. It says, Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of, all, of every kind of the earth. And so as we close our first sermon on vacation Bible stories for adults, what I hope that you saw is that, yes, this is a story about a man who builds an ark and corrals all kinds of animals across the world to join him on this crazy journey where the entire world is flooded. Humanity is destroyed except for one family. But in my opinion, the story of Noah is not a story that should be focused on animals. It should be focused on covenant. It's the first time in Scripture and it's the first time in humanity that we see a God who actively pursues a relationship with creation. And a God that enters into a covenant that looks different than anything that anyone had ever seen before up to this point in history. For the first time, the God, God of the Bible, enters into a relationship with his creation and says, I promise to be with you. I will not forget you. I will remember you. When you feel alone, when you feel that you're out in the middle of the ocean all by yourself, be reminded that I am with you. And just like when God remembers the characters of the Old Testament, God remembers you. And finally, be reminded that God wants a relationship with you. Just as God has entered into a covenant with Noah, he desires to do that with you as well. So this morning, regardless of where you are, what you're struggling with, or where you've been, know that God loves you and that God wants a relationship and a covenant with you. Let's stand and sing together.